You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Well, now I'm wishing I had waited a moment to come up because that was a very gracious introduction. Uh, And I had to receive it with eyes on me. Oh, my. Okay. But, you know, Sam, what he didn't tell you is that we were on staff, I guess, at Bay, on Bay, at Bay Area, whatever, how that works when, he, when I first got here. And we had a, a pastoral race one day. Like, the first day I showed up to work, they're like, we're going to have a race. And all the pastors are racing. And I was like, oh, my. I thought this was kind of a joke. And it was not a joke. It was a very intense, very serious thing that was done with, like, video cameras rolling. And um, not even a little bit surprised, Sam crushed all of us. Um, so it now, granted, there are a number of people in that race that are near the ages of our parents, but the point is, um, Sam did a very good job running, so he's very, very, very fast, very fast man. But I am, I am thrilled and honored to be here. And um, my wife and I, he, he mentioned we have three boys, six, four, and one, and my wife can't be here today. Our youngest was sick, and as you know, if you ever plan on doing, if you have children and you plan on doing anything significant on one particular morning, then it's more certain than death and taxes, and the night before, someone will be up and sick, and it's terrible, and can I get an amen? It's just how it is. All right. But we're jumping into Proverbs chapter 4. So I'm going to do something, you know, you've probably done this thought experiment before. I spent some years in student ministry, so we certainly did this kind of thing a lot, where you ask yourself, okay, if I were stuck on a deserted island, and I could only bring one, you know, book, or type of food, or one friend, or one of my children, or whatever, um, which one would I pick, right? And that can be, that can be a hard thing. If, or, you know, maybe you'd be factoring on which one is actually sleeping, or I guess I don't know what criteria you but maybe you'd be asking, okay, if I had for the whole rest of my life, I could only have one tool, or one piece of clothing, or one streaming service, or whatever it was, there's always somebody who's going to have a hot take on a question like this, and they're going to have various reasons as to why they pick what they pick, like somebody out there is going to say the one streaming service, like, you gotta have Peacock, and everyone's going to be like, what? I mean, like, you're allowed to have your opinion, I mean, that opinion happens to be wrong, but the point is, um, People can have different opinions on these kind of questions, but here, here's one for us that I think will help us jump into Proverbs 4 together. If you could snap your fingers and you could only give your children or those under your influence, whether you're a teacher or maybe you volunteer here at East Point um, with children's ministry or whatever it looks like for you, someone under your, that you care about their future, you're invested in how their life goes, if you could only give them one thing to propel them toward a meaningful life, what would it be? You could only give them one thing to propel them toward a meaningful life. And I know we're in church, but you're not allowed to say Jesus, okay? If you could only give them one thing. And when I say meaningful life, what I mean is how Sam defined blessed. To be living the right way. To be successful in God's eyes. What's the one thing? Again, this could be the kids you teach, younger siblings, nieces and nephews. Someone whose future you are invested in. Maybe it's your, your children. What's the one thing you would want them to be? And if we were to brainstorm right now, I think we could come up with a bunch of different options. Maybe we'd say, you know, something like, I want them to have curiosity. That'll, that'll keep them. Or grit. Or humility. Or, or a good work ethic. Or compassion. You know, maybe for me, parents of young kids, you're like, I would just, if they could sleep through the night, the one thing, um, that'd be great. 
There's a lot of good answers, and I think there's probably a book out there that would justify any of the answers that I just gave, maybe including sleeping, that would say, like, yeah, that is the thing. That's going to unlock your future's potential. And they've got all these studies that they've done of all these successful people, and what was the key ingredient? And they would say, that's the one thing you got to have to have meaningful relationships and financial success and interpersonal skills and a marriage that's fulfilled and sexual fulfillment, and all of your life is going well. It's the one thing. It's a hard question. And I'd be tempted by any of those answers But interestingly, in the passage that we're going to look at today, we are going to get a glimpse into one father's answer to that question, which is actually based on his father's answer to that question. If I could only give my son one thing, what would it be? Well, the answer from Proverbs 4 is very clear, and I think it has big-time implications for us, whether you have children or not. And if you've been part of East Point, you're following through, or you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, then you, if I gave you one guess without even looking at the passage, you might be able to come up with this answer. What is the one thing that this father and grandfather think that they need to pass along for a meaningful life? The answer is wisdom. Yeah, it's wisdom. And wisdom, I'd say it this way, wisdom is our best hope for a life well lived. Wisdom is our best hope for a life well lived. And in Proverbs 4, this father and this grandfather, they make this point, they make it in no uncertain terms. There is absolutely zero doubt. They are convinced that wisdom is the best hope for a life well lived. So I wanna, what I want to do this morning is walk through Proverbs 4, verses 1 through 13. And here's an outline as to how we're going to go. We're going to start off and walk through the passage. And I'm going to give you Grandpa's Soapbox about wisdom. That's Proverbs 4, 1 through 13. And then once we learn what his soapbox is, it will give us a chance to reflect on the act of passing down wisdom. How does that happen? How does it need to happen? And what are we called to? And then hopefully some practical next steps that will make this a little bit more practical or or actionable for us today. And we're going to start off, like I said, with Grandpa's soapbox about wisdom. And I'm not... You know, I'm not sure what everyone's family situation was like growing up or what your relationship with your parents or grandparents or whoever was the adult that was kind of the, the, the voice of raising you. I don't know what your relationship with them was like, but anybody raising younger people has got a soapbox, right? It just comes with the territory. I didn't know I had a soapbox until I had kids, and I have like rooms full of soapboxes, okay? I don't even know what an actual physical soapbox is, but I got things I got to say to my kids, and I'm saying them all the time, Okay? My dad certainly had some soapboxes. My mom did too. My mom would say a number of things a lot. One of the things she would say a lot is that if you want to, you don't have to. If you want to, you don't have to. And that kind of sounds profound, and the more I thought about it, sometimes I was like, I don't know what you're saying. She'd tell me to do something, I don't, I don't want to. She's like, well, if you want to, you don't have to. I'm like, but I don't, but I, what do I do? <laughs> well, if you want to, you don't have to. And she would say that all the time, and it turns out that that actually is something I end up saying to my children all the time as well. Or my dad would say, um, when somebody's working, Hickson's aren't sitting. Well, that's name's Hickson. When somebody's working, Hickson's aren't sitting. He said that all the time. It was just a thing that we knew. If somebody's working around you, Hickson's aren't sitting. And everybody's got, you know, a thing that they like to say or something that stood out to them. That's a quote from dad or mom or somebody that that was influential to you. And that's what we have in Proverbs 4. We have a wise man's shtick about wisdom, what he always tended to say. And this dad has a thing he likes to say because he's quoting what his dad liked to say. Here here we have it in Proverbs 4, 1 through 2. Here's what it says. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Listen. Pay attention. Gain understanding. I give you sound learning. Do not forsake my teaching. 
Proverbs, again, if you follow along, you might have heard things like this, but if not, I just want to give you a sense of what the book of Proverbs is. It's a collection of wise sayings. They are principles, not promises, about how life works generally when you follow these ideas. Principles, not promises. And by the time you get to chapter 9, what happens is it starts to become rapid fire. Each verse is not necessarily connected to the verse before it. It's just Tidbits and wise sayings about all areas of life. I mean, literally, from money to sexuality to relationships and work, family. Literally, it talks about sleep, interpersonal skills. Like, there's no area of your life that doesn't have wisdom. Rapid fire, starting in chapter 9 through the end of the book in chapter 31. In chapter 5 through 8, if we were to work backwards a little bit, there's actually some extended discussions in, pro- in proverbial language about specific topics. And the specific topics are actually focused on sexuality, which maybe that should tell us something about how easy it is to be unwise in the area of sexuality, that it's got multiple chapters about it. But in chapters 1 through 4, which is where we are, it's not wisdom about a specific area of life. It's actually just Wisdom about the importance of wisdom. In other words, there's been no imparting of specific ways you ought to do this or that. It's just about how wisdom is important. So if you think about it, the people who collected the wise sayings into the book of Proverbs spent nearly 10%, 8% of the overall volume of the book telling you to listen to this book. They spent almost 10% of the book saying how important wisdom is. That's pretty remarkable. And I think that's what's going on with what this father is doing right here. He's telling, hey, look, please listen. Pay attention. And this approach actually makes total sense if you've lived in the world for more than like two seconds with your eyes wide open. Because while wisdom, I do believe, is our, our best hope for a life well lived, wisdom is far too often actually our last resort. It's our last-ditch effort when we've tried whatever we thought was going to work. And we spend far too much of our time walking around like Frank Sinatra, like, I did it my way. You weren't ready for me to sing, but that just happened right here, right? It turns out, though, you know, we spend a lot of time, like most of our teens and a lot of our 20s, and um, some of us are 30s and 40s, say, I'll do it my way, until we find out that my way is pretty dumb. Right? <laughs> I'm not done singing. I have one more singing thing planned. But, okay. And all of a sudden, the things that our parents used to say, or the things we used to hear in church, we're like, huh, eh, that actually sounds pretty smart. And it reminds me of that quote that's attributed to Mark Twain, but it wasn't actually by Mark Twain because almost nothing attributed to Mark Twain is from Mark Twain. But it's this quote. When I was a boy of 18, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to be around him. When I was a young man of 28, I was shocked at how much he had learned in 10 years. Right? (laughs) Well, this is the father's dynamic from... Proverbs chapter 4. He understands what's going on with his boys. So he's speaking to what is likely his teenage sons, which is, by the way, the demographic least likely to want to listen to wisdom. I can say that because I was one once. He's like, hey guys, look, eyes on me. I need you to listen. This is important. I'll say it again. This is important. Do not miss this. And why is he being so emphatic? He's like, being emphatic, he's like, I know what it was like to be you. I know what it was like to listen to dad go on and on. He even says it specifically, I too was a son to my father. I was still tender and cherished by my mother. And he taught me and he said to me, he's like, look, I can feel your eye rolls. I know what it was like. I know it was like, oh, dad, classic with the dad things, right? 
He's like, I know what this was like. Please listen to me. My dad loved me enough to give me wisdom. And I'm going to give you your grandpa's soapbox about wisdom. So you'd better take notes. So here are grandpa's three points from his soapbox about wisdom. Dad is repeating him to his sons. He's saying this. Here's grandpa's soapbox. The very first thing my grandpa used to always say, if you knew my grandpa, here's what he would always say. The first thing he'd always go on about is you need to listen. You got to listen. The dad starts to quote his grandpa. He says, then he taught me, and his father, he says, he, my father taught me. He said to me, what did he say? He said, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you'll live. Get wisdom, he says. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. His grandpa started his lecture the same way every time. You need to listen up. He's like, look, this is not the ramblings of an old man. I'm not doing, I, I mean, I will do this sometimes, but this is not when, I'm not doing the, well, when I was your age thing. Like, that's not what we're doing right now. No. This is the most important thing you're going to hear from me. Listen up. And why is this so crucial? It's crucial to listen because wisdom is usually our last resort. Or another way you could say that is wisdom is worthless if it's ignored. You could be sitting on an endless supply of wisdom. It's worthless if you ignore it. If you're the kind of person that you're like, you know what, someday I'm going to grow up and I want to become a master plumber. Great. What if your dad was a master plumber? Fantastic. Guess what? His skills and his knowledge, they are worthless to you if they are ignored. If you don't think about and remember, like, what do you always say? He always said, lefty Lucy, righty tighty. That's the extent of my plumbing knowledge, right? Um, but if you don't follow his instructions, everything he knows is of no value to you. And probably most of us would not do that when it comes to something as basic or straightforward as learning a trade. But we will ignore obvious wisdom and experience of the people around us all the time. That's why listen up is step one of Grandpa's Soapbox. And the second point is really his main point. You got to listen, because here's what I need you to do. You need to get wisdom. Get wisdom. He says this in verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom! (laughs) Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. This word forget is actually the same word as purchase. He's saying literally sell everything you have, mortgage the house, leverage against your savings. I don't care what you have to do. Get it, purchase it, prioritize it. Make it the one thing you got to have. And the way this is phrased is kind of awkward grammatically. Maybe you're even familiar with the phrase from Proverbs that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. And that's true because a right view of God is actually the source of wisdom. But what this grandpa is making in this point is he's saying kind of a nonsensical sentence to just drive home his point. He's like, hey, what's the beginning of wisdom? You got to get it. Just get it. Just do it. You got to get wisdom. Change your thinking. Change your desires so that you're fixated on it. The first step is to determine I will get wisdom. It's an orientation that obsesses over this outcome. Because baby, there ain't no mountain high enough. We're like channeling our inner Marvin Gaye about wisdom. Like, keep me from getting to you, babe. They don't dance so much at Bay Area, so I just had to get it out here. Um, but literally, there ain't no mountain high enough, no valley low enough to keep me from getting to wisdom. That's his point. Get it. 
Hands down, no question. If I could only give my kids one thing for a well-lived life, Grandpa's saying, the one thing's wisdom. The ability to have understanding, insight, to live your life in, to ref, in reflection of what's true about the world, in a Godward way, in light of what God has said is true, with an eye toward God's work in the universe and the grain of the universe that he has placed inside of humanity. Running according to that track. There's nothing better you could ever have. Get wisdom. It will produce incredible results in your life. Grandpa is being so clear. Full send for wisdom. There are lots of people, you know, stories of parents who do crazy things for their kids. And I I get this instinct. Crazy things in particular to get them through college. People selling their house, switching jobs, living out of an RV to get to all the lacrosse games, whatever. They do wild things. Fully sold out things to get their kid a scholarship. And grandpa's saying, I will lay it on the line for you to get this one thing. If you get nothing else, I want you to have wisdom. Because if you do, it's the final point grandpa likes to make. If you get wisdom, you'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did. He says this, we see it in verse 6 and then in 8 and 9. He says, do not forsake wisdom. If you don't, she'll protect you. If you love her, Lady Wisdom, she will watch over you. He continues in verse 8. He says, cherish her and she'll exalt you. Embrace her, she'll honor you. She'll give you a garland to grace your head. She'll present you with a glorious crown. If you want a teenage guy's attention, talk about being exalted, protected, honored, given a crown. That's a decent way to get their attention. That's a serious payoff. The return of investment in wisdom cannot be beaten. If you're a parent or an aunt or an uncle or even just a teenager thinking about your own future here today, wouldn't you want this as an outcome for your life? And what's great is that the benefits of wisdom are not restricted to just these things from Grandpa's rant. The rest of the book is full of things that wisdom provides for your life. It literally says it could bring you, you know, principally, it's not a promise, it's a principle that when you live life wisely, it'll impact your wealth, your relational happiness, your skills at work, how often you laugh, how straight your path is. You cannot beat the ROI for investing in wisdom. When you buy it, you've made the best purchase of your life. So what's the one thing that we ought to get those under our influence Grandpa's clear. He's saying, you got to tell him, listen up. you got to get wisdom. You'll be glad you did. And if that's Grandpa's soapbox, what's beautiful about it is that the father finishes out the rest of our section for today, verses 10 through 13, literally just reiterating this lecture in his own words. Like, like as I read these next couple of verses, you'll see that dad is very clearly remembering what grandpa used to always say. He would say, so he finishes off in verse 10, listen, my son, accept what I say. If you do, the years of your life will be many. I'm instructing you in the way of wisdom, and I'm leading you along straight paths so that when you walk, your steps won't be hindered. When you run, you won't stumble. Hold on to this instruction, please. Don't let it go. Guard it well. Why? It's your life. It's your life. It's all you've got. 
This father is desperate for his sons to thrive, to be on a straight path, to be sure-footed, to be running to whatever their next assignment is. And he tells them the way to do it is to guard wisdom. It's your life. It's everything you've got, everything you need, the secret for your success, the thing you need most. Don't let anybody take it. Don't let it slip away. Lock it up. Vigilantly keep it. It's your life. Wisdom is your life. So really, what we have there in Proverbs 4, 1 through 13, is the soapbox. It's a, it's a parent, it's a dad, to his son, to his son, about what is important in life. But I told you we needed to go one step further, and I want to do that now, and give us some reflections about passing down wisdom. Because what we have in this passage, really, is a description of the generational struggle of passing along inherited wisdom. Unfortunately, just because one generation learns something doesn't mean inherently that the next generation knows it, right? If you're a parent, you feel that struggle. You probably felt that growing up in your house. That saying you've probably heard that like, (laughs) if, if we don't learn history, we're doomed to repeat it. That's because osmosis is not the process by which people learn things that their parents knew. And so I think there are some principles about how wisdom is passed along that are worth noting from what we see in this passage, and I just want to highlight them. I think really there are three truths about how wisdom is best distributed, okay? So here's how I would describe them. Wisdom is best distributed through a who, with a how, and with a tone. A who, a how, and a tone. Let's look first at the who that we see in this passage. How is wisdom best distributed? This passage describes it. That the best who for wisdom distribution is from parents to kids. From parents to kids. It is neither accidental nor incidental that this passage is framed as a conversation between father and his sons. And while I have some convictions about, you know, the role of the parent, I mean, the role of the father in the life, they, the role they play in the life of their kids, I'm not really even meaning to get specific about fathers. I'm just talking that the wisdom distribution principle here is a parent to a child. And, and I know, I recognize that um, family situations are not always clean. They're not always this, you know, sort of ideal. Maybe you grew up in a situation that wasn't situated this way, or you've experienced that, or maybe your own family now isn't set up in kind of this um, idyllic way. So I don't mean any of this to be exclusionary, just as a reminder to us that here's a wisdom principle about how this can often work. Wisdom comes from parents to children, and I know that all of us can testify probably that regardless of whether or not your parents were followers of Christ or whoever raised you, all of us probably have a time in our life where we could have avoided pain or gained traction in our life if we had just done what our parents had said. Again, even if they weren't followers of Jesus. There's just wisdom that comes from going around the block a couple of times, and you can't go around the block without going around the block. You just can't microwave it. You just got to live through it. And then you can be handed some wisdom from someone who's been there, but we often tend to ignore it. But maybe you didn't have parents or someone distributing wisdom in the, st- in the way that this passage is describing. And I would argue those folks actually have an even more clear picture of the loss that this represents. You probably had to seek out wisdom from people that were not your parents. And you felt the sting or the burden of that. And that's hard. Because God gave an ideal delivery mechanism. And whenever we are outside of that ideal, it has consequences for people in a way that's painful. 
So I'm pointing this out um, for a few different reasons, and certainly not to give any guilt, but as a reminder to those of us, first of all, that has still have contact with our parents in whatever way. Um, God designed that relationship to function as a guardrail against sin and pain, as a mechanism for you to get God's heart and mind. So really, at any stage of life, it's appropriate to go to your parents and say, what do you think? How might you do this? They're a delivery mechanism for wisdom. So don't neglect their words. But, but I'd also bring this up as a challenge to those who are parents. Um, you may not outsource wisdom distribution to your kids. You, can't out, you cannot outsource it to a private school, to the children's ministry, as robust as it is here at East Point, to a youth group, to a pastor. Can't do it. You have a God-ordained, irreplaceable role for passing along the wisdom that comes from knowing God. Please don't neglect it. Your children will be better off when we take this seriously. Because I know oftentimes people will say things like, hey, my mom wasn't very blank, but she really taught me blank. Right? My my dad, he, he wasn't the most present, but he really showed me the value of hard work. Right? What you're hearing when someone says a statement like that is they're describing their parents' legacy. What is it that their parents really passed along to them? So I'm asking us, what if our legacy was wisdom? What if our legacy as parents or aunts and uncles or big siblings even, people who have influence, what if our legacy was wisdom? Such that people would say, hey, look, my dad, you know, he wasn't the best at sports. Man, he really showed me the value of wisdom. You know, my mom... The decorations weren't the coolest, she made, her clothes weren't all that great, or like her Instagram was a little cringy, but she really embodied a wise life. If you're elbowing your mom about her Instagram right now, that's, that's not okay. Okay, I'm just giving some wisdom right now. What if we saw the parent-child relationship as the primary means of distributing wisdom and we leveraged it for the good of our kids such that we could create a generation that thought differently in this community, that influenced this culture and this church? For the future. So there's a who for the distribution of wisdom. Ideally, it's parents to children, but there's also a how. The how of distributing wisdom is by walking and talking. Walking and talking. And walking, what I mean by this is living out what we claim to value. If we want our kids to value the distribution of wisdom, then step one is to live out or to model a life of wisdom personally. Wisdom is very often caught as often as it is taught. Wisdom can be caught like it's taught. My dad, I I was texting with him this week about this message. I have an incredible privilege that my dad's a a pastor of a church in Ohio. He's been there for over 30 years, very faithfully pastoring there. And I was writing this message and talking about, you know, obviously passing on wisdom and fathers and sons. So I just texted him and said, hey, what, what are some things that your dad passed along to you? My papa um, was a World War II veteran. He enlisted in the Navy at 17, was in the Pacific Theater, uh, was at Iwo Jima. He was at the signing of the peace treaty there, the surrender in Japan. Um, Just an incredible guy. Came home back to the same place in Chattanooga, Tennessee. No GI Bill, just went right back to work. You know, married my grandmother, raised great kids in a local church. Then was moonlighting on the side, often painting houses to um, 
cover all kinds of expenses, up to and including um, my grandmother's cancer treatment. So she had uh, experimental treatments for many years, ended up passing away. They moved to get better treatments. Just an incredibly faithful man who soon after his own wife died, a few years later, his mom got sick with Alzheimer's, and he then cared for her for close to 20 years, almost never leaving the home so that he could be with her. So just an amazing legacy. But my dad, his comment was, honestly, with Papa, much of what I learned from him, like many people in his generation, was not necessarily the things he could articulate and say to me, but the things that he did, the way that he lived. He didn't always have words for it, but he knew what it looked like. And so, you know, the examples of that were tremendous from everything from, again, this life of sacrificial service for others to... My grandpa setting aside money every week and pulling out the same envelope that he had set aside 10% of the paycheck to um, give generously to the church. And when my dad got a little bit of the proceeds of that painting business occasionally, reminding him, set aside 10% right here in this envelope and we'll take it to church on Sunday. That's walking it out. Let's take the advice of this soapbox to get wisdom no matter what it costs. And there's a lot of ways that this could look, but I just think that our kids and those in our lives need to see us pursuing wisdom, modeling it in front of them, such that if they stumble upon a verse like this from Proverbs 15.1 that says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger, they read that, but we're notorious for frustrated, loud lectures. Well, then we're not living out wisdom. Wisdom is best distributed by walking it out. Again, I think of my own dad. These are not heroes, but they're people that mean a lot to me. He modeled this because he was a whisperer. I remember in high school one time, I, my mom and I's relationship was very good, but I had a time where at this moment I was really mad about something and unrelated to her, and I'm like yelling at her as if it's her fault. I'm like, you know, somehow ranting at her. My dad was in the room, and eventually he had had enough, and he stood up, and he just said, my son, you will never speak that way to your mother again. And I have never spoken that way to my mother again. Walking it out. He didn't have to tell me, hey, son, when you have kids someday, make sure you whisper to them. I learned that. And on occasion, I even get it right. So let's walk it out for them. Let our kids see and let our church family see us pursuing wisdom in our work and our finances and our speech and our discipline, every area of our life. But secondly, we also must pass down wisdom, not just by walking, but also by talking. Um, As I've mentioned, I'm the parent of young kids, and so I certainly know the temptation to always live in lecture mode. Hey guys, stop doing this. Start doing this. Can't you see how what you're doing is destroying all that is good in the world? Or like, you open that door and all the AC is going outside. Last night, my two older boys were getting ready for bed. I told them we're about to go inside. I'm like using one of those long saw things and cutting down a limb. And they, I turn my back and they're in the sandbox, fully clothed, shoes and socks on. We're about to go to bed and they're like dumping sand on their heads. Like, do I literally need to remind you that this is a terrible idea? Like, hey, help me understand why you're covered in sand right before we're going to bed, right? So I just stripped them down to their skivvies and hosed them off outside, and we went to bed. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But um, I get the lecture, but when I'm talking about how we need to talk, I'm not justifying our tendency to berate and nag kids or those under our influence Because often a few penetrating questions are much more effective at revealing their heart and helping them understand the truth. But I do think there's a time and a place for clear and obvious truth-telling 
This is truth. This is a lie. This is wisdom. This is folly. It's this, not that. The Father in Proverbs 4 did not leave the process of wisdom distribution to chance. Neither did his father. In fact, grandfather spent so much time talking about this, his son could reproduce the lecture without notes and without dad in the room. We need to talk about wisdom. We should be setting a family and work culture by the words that we use. This is how we operate, and this is why we're this way. And even if you own a business, this could be as simple as setting a policy in your business, stating it in words that we will never cut corners in order to gain a profit. We don't cut corners to gain profits. Why? Well, because Proverbs 16.8 says that better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. This principle will need explaining because it's not going to be easy to do in your business. There are plenty of times when this is going to be the very expensive way to do business. But if you make the point and you explain it, talk about it as a company policy, it can become part of how you work. And this is obviously even more important and common when it comes to our houses. We can't expect that every piece of biblical wisdom that our children or those under our influence need to get from us, we can't expect them to get it all just from watching us. We need to state out loud in words what we do, why we do it, and why that matters to God. And sometimes it might not look like us talking. It might look like us learning together with those under our care. By doing a book study. By attending church together with your family and learning. By listening to a podcast in the car. Or even with young kids listening to scripture songs and talking about how, what that means. A chance to learn and talk together. My boys came in. I, I keep on thinking of these examples. Two days ago they came in. We have this problem with ants. We've been trying to get rid of it forever. But they are fascinated by them. And for some reason they want to bring them inside the house. Which is the very thing we're trying not to do. They're like, look at all these ants. And my, my one son, he was like, they are so determined. And I was like, first of all, nice word. <laughs> and second of all, I was like, hey. I'm not trying to be a hero in this story. It's just like for the first time it clicked on my head. I was like, let's talk about, hey guys. You know the Bible talks about ants? They're like, really? Like, yeah, it actually says, go look at the ants. What have you noticed about the ants? And then they hear they're talking about, they're so determined. And I'm like, you don't even know what that word means, but that's great. You're right, they are. The Bible says, hey, look, lazy bones, look at the ants. Look at how they work. And we could learn from that. Whatever. I just In the daily of our life, we need to be talking about it. I hope that I'm realizing that sounded a little heroish. I'm not trying to say that. There's just ways that we can bring this up to talk. But then finally... There's a who from parents to kids. There's a how in walking and talking, but there's also a tone without apology. There's a tone without apology. Here's what I mean. When it comes to distributing wisdom, the dad in Proverbs 4 is not apologizing to his sons about how inconvenient this is. Hey, I, I know this is boring, and I know I had to pull you off the video games. I'm sorry about how, I know this is going to take a little while, and like, I, I know I've said this before. And uh, No, no. He does not apologize for the fact that his role is to give wisdom, that what he's saying is true, regardless of his son's response. He will continue to make this point clear. He genuinely believes it could save their life. So nothing is more important to him. And I know for me, even in contexts that are not my family, it's so easy to have this nagging voice in the back of my head that they don't even care. Does this even matter? I've said this before. They're, they're bored. I'm bored. I don't even know what point I'm trying to make here. How do I define the word determined? You know, don't let that nagging voice prevent us from unapologetically passing along the greatest treasure you have to offer your kids. Your greatest legacy will not be your financial inheritance. 
It will not be the house. It will not be the car. It will not be the other house. The wisdom God entrusted to each generation is a priceless gift to be distributed without apology. Because if we agree with the Proverbs for Father that we need to hold on to instruction and guard it well because it is our life, if we believe that, we need to walk it out. We need to talk it out and not apologize when occasionally we have to be pushy about it. Because let me ask you, for those who either are parents or desire to be parents someday, if somebody asked your kids this question, hey, what do you think dad and mom want you to do or be or get? What do you think they want you to do or be or get more than anything else in the world? How would they answer it? Or how would you want them to answer it? Would they say, mom and dad really want me to be wise? Or would they say something like, yeah, they just really want me to be quiet when they're working. They just really want me to get good grades. Seems like they just really want me to quit playing video games. It seems like I, I would, if, if I could just lose weight, if I, if I would just break up with him or her, if I, if I would finally get married, that's, that's what they want. But my hope is that we would be so unapologetic about wisdom and its value that my boys, our children, those under our spiritual influence, this church family would be saying, no, no, no. They want me to get wisdom more than anything else, no matter what it takes. Because the truth is, when we pass it along, we're doing is saving their life. Proverbs 19, 18 says, discipline your children. In that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Discipline is an important component of the distribution proactively of wisdom. Don't be a willing party to their death. Unapologetically, unapologetically pass along wisdom. So we've seen Grandpa's Soapbox. We've reflected on how wisdom is passed down. Let me just very practically in two ways show us how we can take our next steps and then I'll let you be done. First, there's two things we need to do if we're going to really get wisdom. In order to get it, we need to sell out for it and pass it on. When it comes to wisdom, we need to sell out for wisdom and pass it on. And if we're going to sell out for it, it looks like these three things. We need to seek it, saturate in it, and surround ourselves with it. What do I mean? We need to seek it. We're telling ourselves, what's it going to cost? Nothing too high. Reorient our desires. There's nothing I want more than to be a person who understands God's truth and I live it out with skill in the world. I'm wise. We need to seek it. But also saturate ourselves in it. The best way to seek wisdom is to saturate yourself in the scriptures. To understand it, to know it, to hear it preached, and to hear it read, and to hear it sung. If you don't know, if you're not familiar with the Bible, Proverbs has 31 chapters. There's no month with more than 31 days. Read the proverb that corresponds to today's date every day for a year. Better yet, do it with somebody. You will be shocked at how it will reorient your worldview. Watch how saturation in wisdom will change things. But we also need to surround ourselves with it. The book of Proverbs says, walk with the wise, you'll become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. Surround yourself with wise people. Praise the Lord that you are in a place where you are already literally surrounded by wise people. If you haven't gone to first step, go to first step. Surround yourself with wise people and free food. (laughs) Okay? That was free, that piece of advice. But seriously, surround yourself. The more you interact with wise people, the wiser you become. This church family is full of them. Please plug in, seek it, saturate yourself in it, surround yourself with people who are 
But once we sell out for it, we got to pass it on. And we pass it on in the ways we've already talked about. we got to walk it out, talk it out. Wisdom is not a swamp. It's a river running to the ocean. It's meant to be passed along. And as the river passes by, it brings life and health and cleansing and goodness with it. Walk it out, talk it out, model a life of wisdom, pass it along, articulate so that it's clear why we do what we do. Wisdom, Lady Wisdom, is crying out in the streets for us. Will we listen? Will we get wisdom? Will we experience her benefits? Or will we choose the way of the fool and do it our way? I pray that this church family will believe that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that the beginning of wisdom is to get it. And when they do, we'll be glad we did. Let me pray. Father, thank you for being our perfect father. Even when we fail as parents or we've been failed by those who are our parents, that you have given us all that we need in you. And I ask that we would seek you wisely so that we can become the people you want us to be in this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeason.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.